0: Welcome to the Be the Love Podcast, brought to you by Vocal Coalition. We're so happy to have you. The
1: revival has only just begun.
0: And welcome to the Be the Love podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Bartia, and this is actually an episode that I drafted all the way back in March that I pivoted away from and am taking another look at now. Content warning right here at the top for anything pertaining to sexual assault and gender based violence. And there are also several resources in the description, including the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence's resource sheet, which includes both general resources and resources for specific demographics the Sexual Assault Youth Support Network's list of resources, the Colorado School Safety Resource Center's pages on sexual assault and teen dating violence, and the Blue Bench, a great organization that both offers support to survivors, including a sexual assault hotline, and is involved in prevention efforts right here in Colorado. I've also linked an immensely well-researched, intersectional, and illuminating report from the Center for American Progress called Transforming the Culture of Power. An Examination of Gender-Based Violence in the United States, which I highly, highly encourage you to read. It synthesizes data and statistics from a wide variety of sources about gender-based violence and explores its causes, presence, consequences, and potential solutions. When you click on it, it might seem unbearably long, but that is because of the nearly 250 sources they cite at the end, And it also includes a long list of resources for supporting survivors of gender-based violence that are fantastic. Please read it if you are able to. Finally, for a broader view of related issues, I've linked the UNPF's page on gender-based violence, Rain, the YWCA's report on how gender-based violence disproportionately impacts immigrants and women of color in America, and Native Women's Wilderness's page on murdered and missing indigenous women. This is a vastly important issue that I hope if you, like me, are not an expert on, you take the time to learn about. And if you are an expert on it or well-versed in this topic, I would love to hear your thoughts in our survey, as I know that I have so much to learn. Oftentimes, when I share my perspective through these solo segments, I synthesize information that I've learned from external sources of what I perceive as authority on certain topics being Articles, studies, other podcasts, videos, books, etc. that I've consumed over the past several years. But I, as you know, and as I know, am not a journalist or professor. I'm just a kid. I mean, technically I'm an adult, but let's be honest here. I'm basically a kid. And that's actually why I wanted to discuss this today. Because as much as we want to conceal it from kids to protect their innocence, Like climate change, like gun violence, like mental health, like prisons, sexual assault and all gender-based violence is a youth issue. So, as a kid, I might not have a full understanding of the systems, institutions, and cultural boundaries that contribute to enable and normalize gender-based violence that people have dedicated their entire lives to studying and finding and enacting solutions for but I can share with you what I've observed about it in my 18 years of being a kid. What I've observed is my friends walking with me through suburban neighborhoods and responding to a car slowing down near us by taking out their phones, as their first assumption was that a man was getting ready to abduct and assault us. What I've observed is my mother telling my older sister, when she went to a high school dance with her first boyfriend, to always get her own drink and never accept one from him. What I've observed is comments from my gender-diverse friends about how actively terrified they are of being the victims of a hate crime. What I've observed is a sharp cognizance of a person behind me any I am walking in public, even in broad daylight, a feeling shared by my parents. I remember to cite a quite small example I went to Denver Pride the summer after ninth grade with some friends and mindlessly decided to hang out on my own after those friends had left early, only to come home to my parents who were justifiably furious, but not because I might have been hurt or something of that sort, but because in Colorado, sometimes predators abduct young women at festivals and force them into the child sex trafficking industry. I've observed and felt what I would say that every female and gender diverse person feels. The hyper-awareness of what could happen anytime we have to walk alone in the dark, we have to get into a rideshare service car, we're in a crowded area, or we're around anyone in any situation that could leave us vulnerable to attack. It does sound like paranoia, but I don't really think it is. I know many, many peers who have already experienced some sort of predatory behavior, physical discrimination, and or sexual assault by the end of high school. Peers who have been hit on by adult men in public spaces as 14-year-olds trying to do math homework. Or catcalled while walking down the street. Peers who have been roofied at parties. Peers who have been with a friend or family member. And who have had their trust, consent, and body violated. And I should add that these are not isolated instances of a minority that I am reaching into the depths of my brain to remember. These are, dare I say, relatively common occurrences. A 2011 American Association of University Women study found that almost 50% of students aged 7th through 12th grade reported experiencing sexual harassment within that past year, a statistic higher for LGBTQ plus students and students of color. The frequency of all of these, and the fact that they happen at all, is immensely disturbing. And that is heightened by the pervasive mentality that if you haven't been hit on, catcalled, or assaulted, it's because you're not pretty or desirable enough. Again, that sounds like a sick product of the dark side of the imagination, but I observe it all around me. I see how the experience of being objectified demolishes self-esteem. And I also see how when we blame sexual harassment on victims with messaging about men not being able to control themselves— We both intensify the trauma of survivors and encourage those who are not victims of this to internalize their fortune as something wrong with them. When of course, in reality, sexual assault and harassment has absolutely nothing to do with the characteristics or actions of the victim and everything to do with the perpetrator. It's a culture in which young women judge their own desirability based on their objectifiability, which of course isn't helped by the degree to which girls are told that their worth is tied to their desirability. Yet, even despite this frequency and universal impact, despite the fact that gender-based violence and harassment has absolutely no age boundary, what I have not observed is a forum made clearly, directly, and accessibly available for minors to discuss, ask questions about, and easily find resources regarding these issues. It's not that the resources don't exist, but that those resources are not commonly advertised, which is strange to me, considering just how much of a toll on mental health gender-based violence takes, and how much our understanding of the world and its problems are shaped during childhood and there are plenty of opportunities to support child survivors and advertise sexual assault prevention. They're just not taken. For example, at my middle school, we would have quarterly dean's talks about school rules like dress code, homework policy, and notably here, sexting. Specifically, how if you sext as a minor, you can be charged with the possession of child pornography and placed on the sex offenders list for life. Of course, the messaging was focused on not sending sex when prompted, not focused on not asking for sex and not sending unsolicited sex, because the onus seems to always be placed on the responder rather than the initiator. And that was the closest we ever got to talking about sexual harassment or assault in that setting. Not that we shouldn't educate middle schoolers about potential consequences of sexting, but Perhaps we should accompany that by educating middle schoolers who are by no means immune from sexual assault or gender-based violence about what to do if someone is actively and or violently violating your consent. The resources we have surrounding that and why you shouldn't do that. Even in high school, at the beginning of every school year, I would get a sheet about the legal consequences of drug use, sexting, and attendance violations but no information about sexual assault, even though it would be a prime place to include resources for survivors and for safety. We treat it like it's too rare and or too inappropriate a subject to expose minors to. But if minors have to deal with it this often, then I don't really understand why that's the case. The U.S. Department of Justice found in a study conducted in the northeastern U.S. in 2014 that only 11% of female teen survivors of dating violence, and only 5.7% of male teen survivors, sought help. And I just wonder, though I don't know for sure, if those numbers would be different if we made resources for help more accessible, clear, and normalized But as with anything, it's not just about the bandages we apply to a wound, it's about figuring out how to prevent the wound from happening at all, particularly when it directly endangers our right to love and humanity. And to think that the messages we send to people in their earliest and most important stages of development can't or don't affect how they behave or view the power dynamics present in these issues would simply be, at least from what I know about human development, unwise, what we observe and absorb as children dramatically influences who we are and how we think, and what we have to unlearn for the rest of our lives. And what I've observed is how we shape our kids from the moment we meet a baby and say, wow, he's so strong, and wow, she's so beautiful." How from before we can even talk, we hear the identity of boys proclaimed as rowdy and physical and cunning, and the identity of girls as soft and dainty and polite. How before we even have the capacity for sexual attraction, we are taught to question if boys and girls can just be friends. How from before we've even hit puberty, we are held to dress codes that tell kids of all genders That people assigned female at birth are supposed to cover up our bodies from our legs to our midriff to our shoulders because the female body is inherently sexual and what i further observed is how that messaging and conditioning doesn't just go away but festers how constricting the pressure on my male friends and peers is to look and act strong rigid ambitious and emotionless to fulfill their duty to be masculine. How they attempt to suppress weak emotion and outwardly compassionate desire to nurture others in the ways in which they are rewarded for aggressive narcissism by adult figures and implicitly punished for expressing traditionally female sentiments. How so many of them struggle with lack of self-esteem and feelings of powerlessness that arise from being told That your worth is based on your success and you will never be successful enough. Because look at that person who exploited enough people and systems to get to the very top. As well as how constricting the pressure on myself and my female friends and peers is to look and act beautiful, unobtrusive and well-mannered to fulfill our duty to be feminine. How we attempt to suppress aggression and anger passively and the ways in which we are rewarded for constantly apologizing, speaking in unnaturally pleasant voices, and belittling fellow women, and are implicitly punished for acting traditionally masculine. How so many of us struggle with lack of self-esteem and feelings of powerlessness that arise from being told that your worth is based on platonic and romantic attractiveness, and you will never be attractive enough because a look at that person who has good enough Photoshop skills and PR to be immaculately gorgeous and adored by everyone. And even more so, how the relentless willful ignorance and lack of consideration for my gender non-conforming friends and peers, in addition to all of these toxic mentalities and the added discrimination and weight of living their truth in the world, that continues to preach a non-existent gender binary takes a real toll. The movements toward gender equity are expansive and wonderful, and I feel immense gratitude for all the activists who have already made enough progress to the point where this is even a conversation. Strides have been massive. At the same time, I feel like we have this misconception that because women, at least in most of the West, have near-legal equality to men, gender disparities and issues simply no longer exist. We've attained a stage where we don't define people by unrealistic expectations for the sex they were assigned at birth, and allow them to flourish however they so please, regardless of gender identity. And as much as I want to believe that, I see how it is a falsehood every day of my life. And I see how the social conditioning of men to be dominant and women to be submissive pervades our world and continues to enable a hateful culture of gender-based violence. While on the surface it appears to serve cis men, in reality, patriarchy is ultimately detrimental to all people of all sexes, and all genders. Again, I'm not an expert on this topic, and I want to encourage you to engage with experts by looking at the report from the Center for American Progress that I mentioned at the top of the episode, because it's amazing, as well as any of the other resources, as a survivor, supporter, or both. But I also know that at least part of the culprit for the frequency of sexual assault in our society the ways that it impacts survivors, see the episode we did last year with Aubrey Valencia, who explained the sexual assault prison pipeline, and that the ways that it is deeply intertwined with issues of race, class, ability, and other identities, is how we avoid talking about it with young people, lacking consent training and adequate advertisement of recovery resources, and how sexism and archaic gender norms are baked into our society. On this podcast, I tend to have limited focuses when it comes to being the love. Listening, activism, and compassion for those around us and ourselves. And all of those things are certainly necessary in being the love within this topic. Listening to advocates and survivors, supporting systemic changes to decrease the frequency of sexual assault, increase resources for survivors, and have a more open dialogue about consent, even with young people, and making sure that we respond to survivors with understanding, love, and compassion. But I honestly feel that a huge part of being the love here is working to challenge and unlearn our own social conditioning when it comes to sexual assault and its basis in gender norms, so that we can change the ways we continue to spread that in our day-to-day interactions, particularly when it comes to children. As kids, we are absolutely impacted by policy and school curriculum and media, and all of that needs to change. But we are also impacted by our interactions with adults and other kids. As both a kid and an adult, I invite you to join me in working to recognize and consider how our words and actions impact the youth around us from the time they're in diapers And how we can channel that as a force for love. Because in occurrence and in prevention, sexual assault and all gender-based violence is a youth issue. Thank you so much for listening to the Be The Love podcast. Send us your thoughts via the Google form in the description. Subscribe to us on your platform of choice and make sure to leave us a five-star iTunes rating and review. Follow us on social media at V-O-C-O Choir. Our website is vocalcoalition.org. And now, please link arms with us in spirit and join us in singing our anthem, The Revival by Emma Beckler. Until next time, always remember to sing out the love, even through the hate.
1: Our souls are protection. Our feet will never uproot. One body, one mind. We will all stand in line, proclaim the once unspeakable truth. Seamless repairs to.
0: Okay, this isn't really like a funny thing for a blooper, but I just wanted to put this in the episode. I wasn't sure where. Um, So during, I, I took Latin in high school. I'm going to continue to take it into college. Uh, and I learned last year the word wagina in Latin, which means sheath. And it is spelled exactly the same and the derivative of the word vagina in English. And I f- feel like that just shows how deeply embedded even in our language patriarchy is that a vagina means a sheath and is nothing more Anyways, uh, I didn't want to end on kind of a lighter note and I didn't want to, you know, just, just be sad. So since we're talking about Latin, I remembered last year I made a bunch of Latin dad jokes. Um, so sorry if you don't like dad jokes. Uh, but I thought I would, would end with one of those just so we can, we can go into our days with a little smile because it's important to smile and take care of yourself and drink lots of water and, you know, allow yourself to be a human. Um, so here's the joke. What Roman goddess is best suited for the Colorado winters? Vesta. Got it? Because it's like, it's like, Vest, she's the goddess, she's the goddess. I'll be here all night.